1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm ready to go if you're ready, Tony. Yeah, let's go. Great. I'm Tony Adams. I'm
2: 54 years old. I live in Houston, Texas, and I'm a web developer and graphic designer.
1: So Houston, Texas, that must mean that you grew up as a fan of the Houston Astros.
2: (laughs) Very much so, yes.
1: Tony Adams was born the year after the Astrodome opened and just 27 miles away. 1966 in Baytown, Texas. The Astros were always going to be his team.
2: It's kind of like family, you know, you don't get to pick your family, you don't get to pick your baseball team, you know, it it picks you.
1: Tony will tell you that he's mostly left-brained, but he's not one of those hyper-analytical people who dispassionately intellectualizes everything and moves on. He feels things, strongly. One of Tony's most powerful memories from his childhood is of sitting with his mother, listening to the golden voice of Gene Elston, as Elston called Astros games. Long after Tony's mom died in 2014, a few seconds of Elston's voice would bring memories of her rushing back.
2: That home run that Cesar hit back in the fifth inning is the 11th home run that he's hit off Atlanta during his major league.
1: As a kid, Tony loved 70s-era Astros stars like Cesar Cedeno and J.R. Richard. And he loved going to the ballpark they played in. In high school, I had
2: went to 10 or 15 games a year in the Astrodome. And uh, so, yeah, I got to see the big scoreboard with all the, the, the lights flashing and the, the, uh, you know, the Cowboys shooting whenever they hit a home run.
1: Every season, though, the energy he put into the team came to a disappointing end. But even with all those great players and all that great pomp and circumstance at the ballpark, <laughs> there was one thing that the Astros couldn't do. <laughs> Win it all. <laughs> that's That's true. As the Astrodome gets ready to shut its doors after 35 years of hosting Major League Baseball, the Atlanta Braves will do something that the Astros themselves were never able to do here. That is celebrate a postseason series win. Eventually, Tony grew up and faced facts.
2: You know, at some point, you, you just can't keep... Hoping, you know, that little little kid in you kind of goes away. You know, that that one that thinks it's going to happen this year. You just you just can't can't keep dealing with the disappointment.
1: Then the spring of 2017 rolled around, and both halves of Tony's brain were telling him the same thing: there was good reason to have hope. I did something
2: I've never done, and I actually told my wife that I think they could win the, the World Series this year. That was my one time in as his Astros fan since I was a kid that
1: I had that level of optimism. By late August, Tony was even more optimistic. Here's a ball rocking at the center field at the bat of Correa. Forget
0: about it! 15-0 Houston!
1: Then Hurricane Harvey made landfall and headed toward Houston. Tony and his family had ridden out previous storms in their home about five miles from Minute Maid Park. They planned to do the same thing with Harvey, but then water started seeping into the house and wouldn't stop.
2: That night, I waded through chest-high water with just a bag of clothes, and you know, pretty, pretty much everything else was, was gone.
1: Tony and his wife and daughter spent the night with several other families in the home of a neighbor they'd never met before. When the storm passed, they'd lost almost everything, their house, their cars, family photos, Tony's childhood baseball card collection. Still, when Tony looked around, he saw amazing things happening.
2: I've never been more reassured in the human spirit than I was at that point. People all around the the city were coming together and helping other people that they never met, didn't know. They didn't ask what religion they were. They didn't ask where they were born. They didn't ask who they loved. They just helped.
1: A lot of them had one thing in common which became a more powerful bond than ever before. The Astros.
2: There were a lot of people that were watching games on lawn chairs in their torn up living room. So the team became something that we could all focus on to kind of get our minds off
1: the difficulties that we were going through. Then the Astros actually did what they'd never done before.
2: Here's a ground ball could do it, the Houston
1: Astros are world champions for the first time in franchise history.
2: It wasn't just the fact that we'd been through all this. It was, we'd been through, I'd been through 45 years of of disappointment and uh, it was almost surreal. This type of stuff doesn't happen to us. Houston, we don't get that type of final satisfaction. One of the things I thought about too were all the Astros fans who weren't alive anymore, they never saw this. My aunt was a big Astros fan. My mom, I used to watch games with her and she passed away before they they, they won. And um, I thought about them too, that, that um, I was glad that I actually did live to see this. And
1: I, I hope that they were high-fiving up in heaven. <laughs> What had happened seemed so illogical, so magical, that Tony couldn't believe it. Everything he knew suggested things didn't turn out this way for the Astros.
2: For like the next year, I would text my brother sometimes. The Astros won the World Series, didn't they? Because it was almost like, did I dream it? Was it real? Uh, And he was like, yep, they won. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? So it, it took a while for it really to kind of sink in that, yeah,
1: we won, and it's ours, we're, we're champions. Tony didn't know it yet, but he'd eventually help reveal to the world that the championship he'd waited for wasn't what it had seemed. I'm Ben Ryder, and this is The Edge.
2: The article in The Athletic that has everybody talking quotes the former Astros pitcher Mike Fires, Fires directly claiming that in 2017, the World Series run, the Astros used a camera system to steal signs and alert their hitters in real time as to what pitch was coming.
1: The article that changed everything came out on a Tuesday morning, November 12, 2019.
2: Very sad implication of the story in The Athletic is that somehow the Astros' 2017 World Series title is tainted.
1: It was two years after the Astros won the World Series, 19 days after they'd fired Brandon Taubman for his inappropriate clubhouse outburst, and 13 days after they'd lost a championship to the Washington Nationals. The headline in The Athletic was damning. The Astros stole signs electronically in 2017, part of a much broader issue for Major League Baseball. The story was co-written by Ken Rosenthal, a longtime baseball insider, and Evan Drellich, who had been an Astros beat writer in 2014 and 2015. It set the sports world on fire. I have no problem saying that the Astros definitely cheated. The Astros are now public enemy number one in baseball. Rosenthal and Drelick had spoken to four members of the 2017 Astros organization who had revealed the nature of their trash can banging scheme. They reported that the plan was initiated by a player and a coach. One was a hitter who was struggling at the plate and had benefited from sign stealing with their previous team, the authors wrote. If you followed the Astros, it wasn't hard to guess that the coach was Alex Cora, nor that the player was Carlos Beltran, who was then just 11 days into a new job.
3: Today, we are thrilled to officially introduce Carlos Beltran as the new manager of the New York Mets.
1: The article's key source was Mike Fires. You heard his name in our last episode. Fires was a starting pitcher for the Astros in 2017. He had not been selected for the playoff roster and was unceremoniously released after the World Series.
3: The Houston Astros decided to non-tender a contract to right-handed pitcher Mike Fires. If you remember Mike Fires from 2015, threw a no-hitter for the Houston Astros.
1: Fires was still in the majors, pitching for the Oakland A's, the Astros' American League West rival. Fires was quoted saying that he just wanted the game to be cleaned up a little, because there are guys who are losing their jobs because they're going in there and not knowing." This was the first time the Astros' sign-stealing scheme had been publicly reported in any depth. But it was not the first time it had been discovered. The reporters for The Athletic homed in on a game played two years earlier between the Astros and the Chicago White Sox, specifically on the bottom of the eighth inning, which was pitched by a 30-year-old White Sox reliever named Danny Farquhar. Ah, what was
3: I known for? Maybe the small guy that throws high fastballs. Maybe. With a good changeup.
1: It was approaching 10 p.m. when Farquhar entered that game in September of 2017.
2: Danny Farquhar on the season between
1: Tampa and the Chicago White Sox. It was a Thursday night, which meant that with work or school the next day, most of the crowd had already gone home from Minute Maid Park.
3: There wasn't, you know, 30,000 fans, probably maybe 10,000. So it was a pretty, pretty empty stadium.
1: Farquhar thinks that's one reason why he so clearly heard the sound that no other pitcher seemed to notice all season long. He heard it right away while pitching against the very first batter he faced, Evan Gaddis.
3: Evan Gaddis had an incredible at bat. Like he was not chasing some pitches that he should have been. And I was like, Wow, like, I'm throwing some really good pitches here.
0: Evan Gattis taking a pitch for a ball.
3: It's
1: 1-0. Farquhar had entered the game with nobody on base, so his catcher was using basic signs to call pitches.
3: Every time I would throw a changeup, the catcher would put down a four, I would come set, and I would hear a bang. And then finally, on the third changeup that I threw him, in my head I said... If I come set this pitch and I hear a bang, I'm calling the catcher out and we're changing our signs. Sure enough, I come set, I hear the bang. I was, I was not happy.
1: The hometown fans weren't happy either. The crowd booed because Farquhar summoned his catcher to the mound to discuss what was happening. The banging had convinced him that every time he was getting ready to throw a changeup, someone in the Astros' dugout was tipping Gaddis off. Farquhar didn't know how, but he was sure the Astros were stealing his signs. So Farquhar set a trap. The next pitch is gonna be a changeup, he told his catcher. But don't put down a sign.
3: It was a good, not great changeup. And uh, sure enough, he swung over the top of this one, missed it by a mile. Farquhar gets Gaddis for the first out of the eight. Almost like he was expecting something else. You know, in hindsight, you know, no bang, he's probably sitting fastball. I remember being really upset, staring into their dugout.
1: Were you conscious of everyone in the stadium kind of looking at you? Like, were you assuming that people would realize something was off based on what you were doing? A hundred percent. My wife noticed
3: it. And she asked me after the game, she was like, is everything okay? Why were you so mad? You had a really good inning. And (laughs) I mean, I told her why I was upset, but I was absolutely shocked. The media didn't approach me after the game. And I do remember, you know, saying it kind of loud to my teammates. So maybe one of the media members would catch wind and maybe start asking me, but Nobody asked me why I was so upset.
1: At first, Farquhar was certain of what he'd heard, that the Astros were cheating, but he didn't have proof. And as he reflected on it, he didn't feel like he had the standing to make such a big accusation. He didn't get much traction with his teammates either. Most
3: of my teammates thought I was being paranoid and that I was just being a little little crazy. Like, eh, it's just rumors, like, oh, Danny's just hearing things. Um, I don't think most of the guys bought into it.
1: But you were sure?
3: I was absolutely sure that something was happening.
1: Farquhar kept quiet, other than warning his teammates to mix up their signs a lot the next time they played against the Astros. That game wouldn't come until the following April, and it would turn out to be the last of his major league career for a reason that had nothing to do with sign stealing. After facing four batters, he collapsed in the dugout.
3: Well, we have something going on in our dugout at this point. I had the ruptured brain aneurysm. The dugout
1: anymore, but it, I'm told it didn't involve Danny Farquhar. That's all I can report right now.
3: Thanks, Chuck. Uh, we certainly hope Danny's okay. In the ICU for 18 days and battled my way back. I got, I got to play a little bit in AAA, but but yeah, I was definitely not the, not the pitcher I was uh, pre-injury.
1: Farquhar retired in 2019. He was preparing to begin a new job as a minor league pitching coach for the White Sox when his phone rang. It was a reporter from The Athletic asking about the Houston Astros.
3: Ken Rosenthal just called me out of the blue in November of, of 2019 and he asked me about it and I was in shock. I was like, how did you hear about this? Like, yes, this, this happened to me. And he wrote the story and and and, and that's when the, the, uh, the thing blew up.
2: Using technology
0: that's indefensible and using that to gain an edge, that is cheating.
1: It blew up on ESPN and Sports Talk Radio and especially on the internet. This thing was made for the internet, where anyone could unearth and examine video evidence and spread their findings on social media. And the Astros were the perfect target. The new way of winning they kept bragging about, the one I wrote a book about, it certainly looked like it was nothing more than a souped up version of the oldest way. After the athletic article was published, it was a matter of hours before what seemed like the scandal's Zapruder film had emerged. So we now have a lot of allegations. It was a two-minute and twenty-second video, quickly produced by a budding media impresario who called himself John Boy, real name Jimmy O'Brien. John Boy's video, posted to his personal YouTube channel, broke down the Farquhar incident in detail. I found the footage. Let's watch it. Here we go. He has since used. Bang, that one was very slight, but he takes the changeup. Now, Farquhar looking good. Let's see, fastball, no bang at all. Takes it. Next John pick. Boy's video was visceral and irrefutable, the ideal accelerant for the scandal. It racked up millions of views, more than five million at last count. The race to expose the Astros' misdeeds was on. There seemed to be evidence everywhere you looked, even in the Astros' official World Series commemorative video. Someone took a screenshot from that video, which showed a man taking down a TV screen that was suspiciously placed in the tunnel behind the Astros' dugout. Even more suspiciously, directly next to a trash can. An especially viral rumor took off by mid-January, started by a Twitter account that claimed to belong to Carlos Beltran's niece. The account alleged that Jose Altuve had worn a buzzer under his jersey to alert him to the next pitch, as recently as three months earlier in the 2019 American League Championship Series.
2: Game six, ALCS, Jose Altuve hits the walk-off, and then you see when he's rounding the bases, he's coming into home. You know how that works. You get your shirt ripped off. This is Major League Baseball, but he's telling the guys, do not rip my shirt off. He's holding on to his jersey for dear life. He's saying, hey, no, don't do it. They're going to know I'm wearing a buzzer. They're going to know we're all cheaters.
1: No hard evidence of a buzzer ever surfaced and Altuve or his teammates would eventually offer various explanations. He hadn't wanted his jersey ripped off because his wife wouldn't like it. He wanted to keep a tattoo covered.
0: And when he's asked
2: about it, oh, uh, my wife is, I'm embarrassed, my wife gave me a hard time last time. Are you, uh, do you expect me to believe that nonsense? Come on!
1: There was now skepticism about someone else, too. Me. I won't do that thing where you quote nasty Twitter posts that people have written about you. But there were a few themes. I was fraudulent. My book was fraudulent. I would known all about the trash can and decided to hide it because that's how fraudulent I was. Okay, I'll read you one message I got. Your book fails to mention how the Astros cheated their way to a championship. Shame on you, pathetic POS. I understood the anger. I'd certainly leaned into the Astros story ever since the day I'd first walked into their offices more than five years earlier. I'd spent a lot of time with several of their executives and in the homes and cars of players like Carlos Correa and Alex Bregman. I'd talked about having unprecedented access. I could see why people said I should have known, but I'd never actually spent a minute during a game in the dugout or clubhouse or on the field. Even so, I kept asking myself, should I have known? And why was I surprised, but not completely shocked? Well, the Astros,
3: uh, they keep on giving, and the media keeps on taking, why not? Ben, welcome, nice to talk. You wrote that great book there a year or so ago on the Houston Way. Do you feel somewhat cheated that their way may have been abetted by this technology that you were not privy to? Do you feel somewhat cheated that this comes out now after you put the great book out?
1: I was as surprised as anyone, Chris, maybe even more surprised, because I had spent so much of my career diving into this organization for half a decade or more, uh, figuring out what made it tick, explaining their innovations. Yeah, I was certainly blindsided by this, but I think it's important to try to put it in context and to try to deeply understand how this happened. A lot of people. I'll admit saying, it. I kind it, of avoided the Mad Dog's question there, but did I personally feel cheated by what the Astros had done? That's not how I was thinking about it. Nobody had ever exactly lied to me about the scheme. It was more like they had consistently omitted it. This was when I went back through my notes and recordings and found quotes full of new meaning, if nothing close to a smoking gun. In early 2018, for instance, George Springer told me, I think what's helped me is the organization does such a great job with providing us with as much information as they can possibly give you, and the biggest chip for me was figuring out what type of person I was when it came to having all that information. At the time, I believed he was talking about things like the Astros' training methods and analytical scouting reports. But was he really? And a few months before that, an opposing team's executive had told me, I think they've unlocked a lot of things on the hitting side and are more advanced in that area than anyone else. They're ahead of the game in terms of offensive information. Offensive information. Was he trying to tell me something else? And if he was, why didn't he? The truth is that whistleblowers are far rarer than we'd like to think. Maybe it's because they're personally implicated in the scandal, like George Springer. Maybe they doubt what they know, like Danny Farquhar. Or maybe they don't want to live with the repercussions, even if they know they're right. Some big baseball names, like the Red Sox legend David Ortiz, seemed less upset with the Astros than with Mike Fiers for exposing what they'd done. Here's Big Poppy at a press conference in February of
3: 2020. I, I, I'm mad at, at this guy, the pitcher that came out talking about it, and let me tell you why. Oh, after you make your money, after you get your ring, you decide to talk about it? Why don't you talk about it during the season when it was going on? Why, don't, why, why you didn't say, I don't want to be no part of Oh no. So you look like in a snitch.
1: Fires has barely commented about the Astros sign stealing since he talked to Ken Rosenthal. Other than revealing that he's received death threats. If Fires hadn't answered Rosenthal's call, then we might still not know anything about what the Astros did. But he did, and the Astros scandal instantly became an international phenomenon, propelled by the insatiable furnace of the internet. But did I feel cheated by it? I guess that's not the right word. The lion's share of my access in my reporting had come before the 2017 championship season, before anyone with the Astros had looked at a trash can and gotten a bright idea. So what did I feel? Embarrassed, certainly. I wondered if I'd been used to shine up an organization that could do something like this. But mostly, I felt curious. I wanted to know how the scandal fit into the story I had so publicly told about the Astros. And I wanted to separate the truth of the conspiracy from the raging theories of it. In this, I wasn't alone.
0: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and...
2: Initially, I think I didn't want to believe it. You know, I was thinking that there's, there must be some other explanation. Again, Tony Adams. But it didn't take but a couple of hours before videos started appearing on YouTube. And you could hear the banging, and it matched up exactly with the breaking balls and the change-ups. So it was, at that point, undeniable. The, the banging on the videos was so visceral, you just couldn't deny it. It was very obvious that they had cheated. And, um...
1: It was just a matter of how much. The two-year high that the Astros championship had brought to Tony Adams ended in a matter of hours after the athletic report was published on November 12, 2019. It was, as he says, undeniable. The Astros had illegally stolen signs. Their rings were tarnished. But for Tony, the inquiry didn't stop there. There were so many accusations against the Astros. It was really
2: hard to kind of keep up with what was the truth. I wanted to know what happened. Whether it was good or bad for the Astros, I wanted to know what happened.
1: Tony waited over a month for more hard facts to emerge. When they didn't, he decided to find them.
2: So I texted my brother and said, my new project, I'm going to log every every Astros pitch for the 2017 season. And he says, you're crazy are you trying to exonerate, or are you trying to just get to the truth? And I told him that I was just actually trying to get to the truth. And he sent me back uh, a
1: message. Be careful, Taylor, you may not like what you find. It's a Planet of the Apes reference. It's what Dr. Zayas says to Charlton Heston's time-traveling astronaut shortly before Heston discovers the horrible truth about the reason for the human race's decline.
2: There's got to be an answer. Don't look for it, Taylor. You may not like what you find. I knew it had to be done, and I actually, I wanted it to be done by an Astros fan. I, for some reason, that was very important to me. For me, for it to, to be real, it, it had to come from somebody that really cared.
1: Tony created a program that helped to match up open-source, time-stamped, pitch-by-pitch data from Major League Baseball with video of the Astros' 2017 home games. 58 of the club's regular season home games were available on YouTube. He used something called a spectrogram, a visual representation of the audio. As Tony describes it, it's almost like a heat map of different frequencies. If somebody's banging on a trash can,
2: you'll see a lot of low frequency indicators in the the low frequency, and then you'll see a, a quick spike. So there was actually a visual fingerprint of the trash can banging that I could see in the spectrogram.
1: Tony didn't have to watch all the games in their three-hour entirety. He could skip ahead to each pitch in question. The pitch data he'd pulled indicated what type of pitch it had been, a fastball, a curveball, a changeup, and the spectrogram would indicate to him whether it had been preceded by a trash can bang or not. Still, he hadn't considered how many individual pitches a team throws over the course of 58 games. There were 8,200 of them. I wake up
2: early frequently. So frequently, I'll be up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I have a few hours to burn before work. So I could get four or five games processed in two or three hours. So I would do it often early in the morning. And when I got home, I might do a game or two. And then the weekends would do as much as I could. You might find it surprising, but I'm a little bit obsessive about certain things.
1: (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The project took six weeks. Tony's brother had been right. He was taken aback by the truth he'd found. The scale of it. The extent of it. The Astros' scheme had begun in earnest in late May of 2017, when Tony detected 28 bangs against the Orioles. It continued through the summer, and it seemed to stop in the bottom of the eighth inning on September 21st, immediately after Danny Farquhar finally noticed it. Tony couldn't believe it had gone on so long.
2: I can't tell you how many times I was just shaking my head or doing a facepalm. Like, this is nuts. It, it just it kept on going. Uh, there were over 1,100 pitches with, with banks before them. You would think that somebody would would notice, an announcer or a a fan, uh, somebody, but nobody did. People say this was a high-tech cheating scheme when it really wasn't high-tech. It was a guy standing in front of a television begging a trash can. This wasn't Mission Impossible. It was the Flintstones.
1: For a lifelong Astros fan like Tony, who was committed to finding the truth, there was at least some good news.
2: The biggest takeaway for me, was that Altuve didn't participate.
1: Tony had no way of investigating the buzzer rumors started by someone who it turned out was definitely not Carlos Beltran's niece. But he was able to determine that Altuve, the team's undersized talisman, had received bangs on just 24 of the 866 pitches to him Adams analyzed, less than 3% of them.
2: There were a few bangs during his his at-bats, but they really seemed almost like mistakes.
1: Another regular starter, outfielder Josh Reddick, had gotten bangs on under 4% of his pitches. But according to Tony Adams' analysis, almost everyone else had participated. It was bad, worse than Tony had imagined.
2: I was surprised at just how frequently they were doing it, and some of the players involved were disappointing. You know, the Astros have a lot of people that had great stories. You know, Springer and and having a speech impediment and overcoming that. It was just disappointing to see and surprising to see how many people participate into the level that they did.
1: At times, it even seemed unnecessary, just cruel.
2: There were a few games where the Astros were up maybe 10 runs in the eighth inning, and they're still banging on the trash can. And it just just made me actually a little bit more upset or more disappointed in them that they were doing that. Those games, I think, when they were way up and still doing it were the the ones that that made me feel the most disappointed.
1: Now it was time for Tony to release his findings. He built a website, signstealingscandal.com, that would allow users to review each of the 8,200 pitches he'd cataloged and to immediately listen to an audio file to determine for themselves whether they were preceded by a bang or not. On January 29th, 2020, it was ready. Tony was ready for some angry responses from his fellow fans. He told his wife not to open any unexpected packages. But it wasn't until the moment he was about to click his mouse that what he was about to do to the team he'd always loved sunk in.
2: When I composed the first tweet, Uh, announcing the site Uh, I actually got up and walked around for about 10 minutes and I thought don't want to do this but and I thought about it you know because it is my team but in the end I thought to myself that this is the truth I'm not making this up I just documented what happened and if there's an issue with that, that's really not my issue or an issue with me. It's with the people that actually did do the cheating. And so I hit send and <laughs> and the rest is history, I guess.
3: One of my buddies actually texted me. He's like, man, have you seen this? I was like, what? And it had a graph of how many signs they stole each game. And I was like, whoa.
1: Remember Mike Bolsinger, the pitcher you met in episode one, whose major league career ended after one horrible inning against the Astros in 2017? By January of 2020, he was back in the States after his second and final season in Japan. And he'd heard all about the Astros' sign-stealing scheme. But the specifics were still kind of abstract. Then his phone pinged with a link to a website that had just been published by someone named Tony Adams. Bolsinger dug into the site and shared it with some of his friends.
3: It it really blew everyone away. And that's when I finally was like, man, okay, this is for real. Like, they really cheated on my game against me. And that's when I fully believed, believed everything basically.
1: Tony had discovered that the peak of the Astros scheme came on the very night they'd beaten up Bolsinger three Augusts earlier, his last ever night in the big leagues. They never banged on their trash can more in a single game than the 54 times they had that evening. Bolsinger got mad and then he got a lawyer. Others in the sports world responded differently. There are people who have so much time on
0: their hands. There's a guy named Tony Adams. This guy spent over 50 hours
1: of his life. So he was watching the pitches and then listening for Trash Can Bank. Good lord, And he also tagged video to every one of these. What the f***? Tony, tell me what you're trying to accomplish.
3: This is the same kind of person that goes on to Quizlet and fills out the entire study guide for all the people that come after. So props to this, man. You are one of the reasons why I passed college. Bless you, sir.
1: Many others, though, took Tony's work more seriously. When I
0: first saw it, I was just kind of dumbstruck that, that someone had taken all this time to do that. I mean, I was, I was amazed. And then from there, I was like, well, this is incredible data.
1: Rob Arthur is a data scientist and journalist. He's written for all sorts of publications, including Nate Silver's 538. But his first job after completing his Ph.D. in evolutionary genetics was for baseball prospectus the Sports Stats Bible. Like a lot of analysts, Arthur longed for a full data set cataloging exactly what the Astros had done. He even thought about making one himself, but figured it would be an almost unfathomable undertaking. Then one day, he was scrolling through Twitter and saw that some guy in Houston had just done it.
0: From there, I thought, well, we can use this in a direct way to see whether this scheme that the Astros were using was actually helping them. You know, if you got a bang before a home run one time, that's an anecdote, and maybe it's meaningful, maybe it's not. But if we know on all the pitches where they had bangs, did they hit home runs more often, then that can tell you something about whether it was actually helping them or not.
1: Like everyone, Arthur assumed that the Astros scheme had been helpful to their hitters. And using Tony's data set, he found that it was, most of the time the Astros often cracked their opponent's signs quickly. Their trash can bangs, either through their presence or their absence, communicated the correct signals about 90% of the time. When the scheme was on and working properly, it boosted their hitter's collective batting average by 7 points and their slugging percentage by 25 points.
0: You know, it's it's not huge. It was actually smaller than I was expecting. It's not like turning you from... Uh, you know, league average into Mike Trout. It's not like turning you from just a, a scrub into an all-star, nothing like that. It's just like a small boost enough to turn someone who's already decent into someone who's solid, for example.
1: What was more surprising to Arthur was what happened on the 10% of pitches that were signaled wrong, when the trash can banged before a fastball or didn't before an off-speed pitch. In those cases, the Astros' hitters had almost no chance. Like when Evan Gaddis thought he'd get a fastball from Danny Farquhar, but got a changeup instead. Their batting average plunged by 45 points, and their slugging percentage by 93.
0: And that is actually equivalent to turning, you know, an average hitter into one of the worst hitters
1: in the league. The one out of 10 pitches on which the Astros got the sign wrong were so damaging, in fact, that they resulted in Arthur's most surprising finding of all.
0: You end up getting really close to, essentially, it it all washed out in the end, and they ended up being no better than they would have been if they had never come up with this elaborate signaling scheme. The average number of runs that the Astros produced with the signal and without the signal were essentially identical.
1: Does this seem more like the crime of, of robbery or attempted robbery, if you had to characterize it? It's
0: almost like a botched robbery. Like you went into the bank, you grabbed the money, and then uh, like all the all your, your uh, sacks of money had holes in them and they're leaking money as you're running away and you end up, you know, getting to your getaway car with nothing left in them.
1: But a botched robbery, Arthur points out, is still a crime. Tony Adams agrees.
2: I think it's robbery, straight up. It, they, they cheated and whether or not it was effective in aggregate, it really doesn't matter.
1: There are certain problems with Adams' data set and with people like Arthur's analysis of it, as they freely admit. One is that every at-bat is not equally important. Just because the average effect was zero doesn't mean that in
0: a particular, you know, important moment that they didn't get help from the system. So if they were better at getting the signals uh, in the ninth inning against uh, closers then it might have ended up helping them win games, even if it didn't help them um, score more runs on average.
1: Another issue. What if the trash can bangs weren't the only way the Astros players were sending in stolen signs from their monitor in the tunnel to batters at the plate? For example, Tony's spectrograms didn't pick up bangs in the playoffs. Was that because the atmosphere was too loud for his system to detect them? Or because they weren't happening? Or were the Astros doing something else? Whistling? Signaling from the bullpen? Actually using buzzers hidden beneath their jerseys? It was now hard to put anything past them.
0: If they had those other systems, the only thing that we have data on from Tony is the trash can bangs. So if there are other times that they were getting other signals, that could be you know, misleading us in some way. Some of those bangs that I thought were inaccurate could actually be they were delivering the signal in another way. So that's a big issue.
1: In fact, given how optimized Jeff Luno's front office was to not just find every edge, but test its effectiveness, the idea that the Astros executives would have allowed the banging scheme to persist if it actually provided net zero help doesn't add up. They would have been the first to pick up on that phenomenon, which suggests two possibilities. One, the scheme had other components. Or two, the front office, at least the high-level, analytically advanced parts of it, truly didn't know about it. Then there's one final question. Was everything the Astros had built and everything they had won fraudulent? In other words, how much of the Astros' success came from their sign-stealing?
0: I mean, if you were to assign a percentage, I would say it's probably in the single digits. I mean, it's massively dwarfed by just having really good players, which they did. I mean, they had really good players, whether they were sign stealing or not. Uh, The sign stealing might have helped them a little bit. uh, And it's possible that it helped them more in the postseason. It's possible that it helped them more in later years if they continued it in ways that we don't know about. But it was absolutely a, a much smaller thing than just getting players like Jose Altuve. Having an MVP on your team is a much more beneficial thing than occasionally uh, getting the sign
1: right. That the Astros were a championship caliber team, even without cheating, probably doesn't provide much comfort to their opponents, to Mike Bolsinger, or the 2017 Dodgers, or even the LA City Council which passed a resolution calling for the Astros to be stripped of their title.
2: This is much more than about baseball. Uh, It's important for us to raise our voice and to say that this is not the new normal, that this is not acceptable, and that the Houston Astros were not the champions nor the best team that year.
1: Any tiny edge could have been the difference between winning and losing a tight seven-game World Series. And a championship that had once felt so deserved and so unblemished would never be that way again, even for Tony Adams, maybe especially for Tony Adams.
2: I'm probably different than a lot of Astros fans in the fact that I do think that that championship is tainted. I do think that it deserves an asterisk. I don't feel any pride in it any longer. I'm definitely not going to wear my my shirts out. It, it, It hurts, to be honest with you. It hurts a lot. So I just hope that I can live to see them win one (laughs) when we know that they're not cheating.
1: Tony had exposed the sins of the team he'd loved his whole life with a precision that no one else had even attempted. The tweet he'd agonized over, the one linking to his new website, had earned over 4 million impressions and helped fuel an anti-Astros frenzy. For Tony, though, one thing could never change.
2: I've been an Astros fan a lot longer than any of these players have been on the team. I've been an Astros fan a lot longer Uh, than Jim Crane has owned the team. Uh, In most ways, this team is really the fans' team. Uh, It doesn't belong to really anybody else. They're just caretakers of it. And these players, a lot of them disappointed me. Some of them I won't look at the same way again. Uh, But in the end, you know, like a family member, we we'll get past it. And time will heal these wounds. And um, I'll be an Astros fan until until the day I die.
0: Was the got back
2: in 1970. <laughs> As a drive to very deep, deep field. it's gone. Home runs
1: Next week on the edge Jeff am I right that this is the first interview you've agreed to about the Astros science dealing since the commissioner's report back in January nine months ago that's correct I uh, sent out a statement that day and I haven't spoken to anybody in the media about this since so this will be the first time I've had an opportunity to tell my story the edge is presented by Prologue projects in partnership with Cadence 13 the show is produced by Sam Lee and me Ben Ryder with editorial support from Madeline Kaplan and Ula Kolpa, Our executive producers are Leon Nafok, Andrew Parsons, Chris Corcoran, and Stephen Fisher. Our score is provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme song is by Andy Christens. Our artwork is designed by Teddy Blanks. Fact-checking by Francis Carr. Thanks for listening. See you next week.